Turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. As our children go out to Children's Church, I'm going to ask in light of that video, before we open up this time in prayer, if you have served in the armed forces or currently serve in the armed forces, would you stand for us for just a moment? Thank, thank you. And I think that's important for us to remember, not only because tomorrow's Veterans Day, not only because we live in a country that is free, but because of the sacrifice of those uh, who have served, who do serve, is a reflection of the sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf, that he would give his life for strangers, though he knows all things and all peoples. We have not physically met him, just as those who serve in our military and put themselves in harm's way, their lives on the line for people they have not nor will meet. And whether they are believers or not, it is a reflection of what Christ has done for us Um, and his faithfulness and sacrifice on our behalf. So, we are grateful for you all. As we begin this morning, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these uh, who have served, those who do serve, who put themselves in harm's way for our safety, for our freedom. God, and may we remember them and their families as they endure what is difficult in military service. But this morning, may we also remember a Savior who has sacrificed himself, given everything on our behalf, that we might find forgiveness of sins, that we might find freedom to live, um, to seek refuge in him, that he could bring peace in our lives through his blood. God, so may we in these moments dwell on those things as well. As we look at your word, and I pray that you would remove walls and roadblocks, boundaries, that we could hear from you, that you would affect change in our hearts and in our lives as we think about your word. May we ask ourselves in this moment, God, what do you want to say to us, What do you want to say to me through your word? We pray that you would be honored and glorified. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the third week of our series through Colossians chapter 3. And the week that will end this, uh, we'll have a couple of sermons, kind of standalone fashion. We'll go into a Christmas series as we begin December and look towards the coming of Christ and remember that. Uh, But we will wrap this up in Colossians 3 this morning. In doing so, I'm reminded of 2010. If you're not an NBA basketball fan, that's okay. I'll try to relate this to you anyway. I'm not a huge fan of the NBA, but I remember in 2010 when the Miami Heat put together a team that was supposed to be unbeatable. Uh, So if you don't know these names, that's okay. But you got guys like LeBron James who is in the running for maybe the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, those in past generations will agree with me that Michael Jordan holds that office and cannot be dethroned. But 
Uh, there are some that would argue vehemently uh, that LeBron has taken that over. Regardless, LeBron, Dwayne Wade in the peak uh, or coming towards the peak of his career uh, was on the Miami Heat in 2010 and a guy named Chris Bosh, maybe lesser known, was the center, the big guy. Those three guys, putting them together, big names, high money players, they came in and before the season ever started, LeBron sitting on stage with Dwayne Wade, with Chris Bosh, guaranteed the win of a championship that season and multiple championships. If you don't know how this story plays out, I will give you one guess. Did they win a championship? Mm, no, not that season. Now they did go on, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that first season when they guaranteed a championship, they did not. Because even having three, if it is the three best players in the league, even having the three best players on your team does not guarantee a championship because basketball is played with five people on the court. And even beyond those who are on the court, it is a team sport. And it's not just up to three guys. It's up to the whole team to play together and one of the things they missed in that first season together is that it's not just the three of them that they need everyone else on the team the coach the staff behind that included they did not play together they did not present a united front therefore they did not win a championship that season and when we look at this passage this part of colossians chapter 3 we are going to be reminded of something very similar that functioning as believers, as the body of Christ, is not up to one of us or a couple of us to be all-star Christians, whatever that is. It's up to all of us to work in sync together that we need one another in this process. So let's look at it in Colossians chapter 3. And so we can be reminded of where we've come from. I'm going to read starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. It's okay. It's a few verses. We'll make it through. You guys will follow along. I'm confident in you in this process. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we said that Jesus reigns and rules over everything, that he's in charge of everything, that everything is under his authority and his control, and so our lives are to seek his rule and reign in our individual lives, and we take our little self, little K king, off of the throne of our life, and we declare him as king and lord over us, and then with the rest of our lives, we seek his rule and reign in every part, including in our mind, the things that we think about. And then he goes on to say, And put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, because we've been made new, because Christ has been declared Lord over us, because our life, our old life has died, and we've been risen, and our new life is Jesus, and our life is found in him because we're new. We put off the old self. We put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And we got a little uncomfortable last week when we talked about what that looks like. 
and some of the things that are still present in sexual morality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry, because on the count of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And in these things, you too once walked when you were living in them. So none of us escape being on that list and the list that follows. None of us escape now, even if Christ has changed us in our life, our trajectory is Christ-like and we are becoming more like Jesus day in and day out and we feel like we're in a good spot. We don't get to look down on anybody else in the church or outside of the church because we too once walked in those things. They were characteristic of our life even at five, if that's when you surrendered to Christ. And the only reason that you or I are not in them, if we are not right now, is because Jesus has rescued us and changed us and made us new. So, but now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So we said that, that we don't get to pretend like around each other in the church, like nothing's going wrong that we're not still dealing with sin and battling sin, we, we're not to lie to each other about that, but to be honest with each other, because we each know we could go around the room and take a poll, but we don't need to, because you know that I still am dealing with stuff, and I know that each one of you are still dealing with sin in your life and trying to put it away, and so we don't pretend like everything is good and everything is hunky-dory and that everything is right in our life with each other because we need one another's help to pull up the weeds in our life, the sin in our life, diligently, day by day, week after week. And so we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And here, in Christ, together as the body, here there is not Jew or Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Jesus is everything, we said. So, in 15, whereas last week we got to be real uncomfortable because we talked about the old self and putting the old self off, this week we get help a little bit because it's not quite as uncomfortable because he's talking about the new self. Like the positive things, this is where you're going. You've put off the old self and now put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, anything that you do, in word or deed, everything that you do and everything that you say, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so in this passage, God, through Paul, is communicating to us, be made new together so that we can live like Jesus together. 
be made new together so that we can live like Jesus together. So the first thing that we see is that godly conduct unites us. Godly conduct unites us. It, it puts us all together on the same team, on the same page. He says, put on then, because you put off the old self, put on then. So it's not just that this popular idea, I think a lot of times in our culture, is that, yes, we're messed up, we're sinful people, we've done some things and made some choices against God, so let's try to make up for that in being good and doing the right things from here on out so we can overshadow what's wrong in our past. And so it's not just the putting on of what's right, it's that you put on what's right because you've taken off the old. And so you're you're putting off the old and putting on the new. And what does that look like? One of the things that he mentions is bearing with one another. That we would bear each other's burdens. In verse 13, bearing with one another. What does that look like? It looks like, one, that we need each other. We, we used the analogy last week about pulling weeds in a yard. And we said that some people can look at our own yard and see the weeds better than we can in our familiarity with ourselves. People can look at our lives and see our hurts or habits or hang-ups better than we can a lot of times. So we need people in our lives knowing what's going on with us. But in that process, we're going to have to bear some things with each other. Like we all carry around burdens either because of our sin or other circumstances in our lives, and doing life together is frankly messy, right? It, it's difficult. You helping me with things that I need help with and me helping you with things because we have difficulties in our lives. The last couple of weekends that I've gone back to Weatherford and then come back here, I've tried to bring a load of stuff from our house there to our house here. Um, in that process, I've, I've sent some text messages or messages prior to saying, hey, I'm going to show up um, in Holdenville at a time, could, could I get some of you in this group that I've sent to come and help unload some stuff? Because the reality is, I could do all of that on my own. Yes, I know you look at me and you go, you probably can't lift a lot. I'll tell you what I've told many, I'm stronger than I look. <laughs> Regardless of that, I could unload the trailer, the truck, the stuff that I bring back on my own. It would take me a little while though. And at the end of it, I would be more tired having done so. And in some case, like last week, um, some of the things that we moved back were a little bit heavy. Um, a couch and a buffet table thing. I think I could have figured something out along the way for that, like sliding it on cardboard or something maybe. But one, those pieces of furniture probably would have gotten torn up a bit trying to get them in the house by myself. I'm not proposing that I could lift them on my own, but I could have figured out some way. The point of that is this, that even though maybe I could make it happen on my own, it's a lot better and a lot easier if I could call some people up or send a message and say, will you come help me with this? Because we could knock it out in 20 minutes, 30 minutes-ish, and be done with it. And I'm less tired from it because I've had hands and legs and bodies to help in the process. Guys, that's our life. Yes, maybe there are circumstances that you could get through on your own. 
that you don't need somebody else's help with? But us functioning as the body of Christ is such that we don't have to do that. We don't have to bear our own burdens on our own. Yes, Jesus will help us bear burdens, but each other we are called to bear with one another so that we don't get so worn out, so that we can be in it for the long haul, so that we help one another when each other needs help, that we bear with one another, that we forgive each other. I I can't speak for you. I can guess for you that you may need along the way living life with other people, forgiveness from others. I know I can speak for myself in that I need forgiveness. And I want to give you an example of this. Not this weekend, last weekend when I was at home packing up the trailer before I came here, uh, Sandy was sick and she had three kids. And so I'm at home I got some help with the heavy stuff and then I dismissed that help so they could go about living their lives and I began to load the extras, the boxes and the weird things that I can do on my own and it took me a while to load up the rest of the trailer. And I had planned on leaving at a certain time and that didn't happen and it happened later than I had expected and I was probably a little bit cranky from loading up the trailer and doing work, which is a good thing. Um... And I made a comment to Sandy that (laughs) you guys have been there too. (laughs) Okay. That maybe I could have got off sooner if I hadn't have been the only one loading the truck. (laughs) And I didn't do so, I didn't do so in like an accusing way. Just, a matter, just stating a matter of fact. And I knew that she was watching the kids and she didn't feel good. And so I knew, she, I didn't, honestly, I didn't want her to help. I was just throwing a pity party for myself that I had to do it. In that moment, I needed some forgiveness. Because <laughs> I shouldn't have said what I said. And Sandy's not here to amen that, and I feel okay with that. (laughs) Because she would. And she didn't say anything because she's very kind and very gracious. And I married way over my head. And as you get to know her more and more, you will realize that. And again, the point of that is, you are like me, I think, sometimes. Maybe not as bad or as unwise but you will need forgiveness along the way as we live life together. If we were to live life together, we're going to see faults of each other's and failures on each other's behalf, and I'm going to need you to forgive some things for me as I serve as your pastor. And there's probably going to be times where you say things to one another or you say things to me or we do things, and and we're going to need to forgive each other. It's just part of being human. And dealing with sin in a fallen world and seeking to be more like Jesus because there's going to be times where we're not like Jesus and we've got to forgive each other as we have been forgiven. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does that look like? I think two things. One, I didn't think of this until I was just now reading it. 
this day and age, there's so much anxiety and depression. And we could talk about why that is. We could talk about expectations that we put on teenagers, on college students, whether it's sports or school or performance, the anxieties and pressures that they put on themselves because of social media, that we put on ourselves because of social media, and we see everybody's highlight reel when we go online, and then we look at our life, and all we see is like the bloopers, the stuff that doesn't make the video, and we're going, why is their life so good and my life is so cruddy? Or why don't I have the highlights to put out there? Well, why am I dealing with all these things? Or why does everybody feel this way about me? Or why did this person get on my post or my photo or whatever and say this about me? There's all of these pressures and anxieties. And for our, our students, middle school, high school, young adults, like this is wreaking havoc on us because we care so much about our appearance amongst everyone and everyone has the opportunity to comment on those parts of our lives, we feel like we have to keep up and we can't let anybody see the downside. We always have to show the upside, and that's not just true for students. It's true for many of the rest of us. And there's so much anxiety that we put on ourselves because we feel like we've got to keep up. Jesus has come and purchased through the forgiveness of our sin and the new life that he creates in us, peace. And we can live our lives in such a way that we neglect that and we continue to try to be in charge and to try to make things happen and to try our own way. Or we could let him rule. We could say, it doesn't matter what people think about me online. It doesn't matter what people think about me here. I mean, we want to follow Jesus, but as far as the way that I dress the things that I say, the car that I drive, or the house that I live in, the job that I have, etc., etc., etc. It doesn't matter the way that people perceive me in those regards. Those are earthly things. What matters is me following Christ and me being in community with each other and finding refuge, not in circumstances, but in Him. And here's the other way that I think this applies. One of the things that I'm starting to figure out, I think. Our past and our history, whether it's our choices or choices that others make that intersect and affect our lives, the way that we're brought up, there's so many things that can affect us, and, and all of those circumstances can affect the way that we think and affect our choices. They can affect the way that we relate to other people. They can affect situations where we get mad, where we don't even realize why we're getting mad. Like, why do I react that way in that situation? And so many times it's because of circumstances that have had a profound effect on us, that, that affect us mentally, that we haven't dealt with, people that we've lost in our lives, relationships that have gone by the wayside or whatever, and it affects the way that we live. It affects the way that we act. It, it affects certain things. And if we don't go to the right place to find relief from that, if we don't deal with those things rightly, we turn to other things like alcohol or drugs to self-medicate. We can turn to 
relationships, like we feel like we need a relationship to make it through, like we can't be by ourselves. We could turn to things as, as innocent as shopping or acquiring things. We can turn to online things. We, we can find a lot of ways to self-medicate without dealing with the issues. We're just dealing with the symptoms. Peace comes when we go, Jesus, I can't figure all this out. There's some things that have messed me up, some things that have affected the way that I think and the way that I relate to other people. I need to find refuge in you. You're the only place that I can go to to find satisfaction, to find escape. We, we don't go to TV or movies to find escape. Virtual reality is maybe not an everyday, every household occurrence, okay? But virtual reality scares me a little bit. Like that we can, through a, a mask and our phones online, we can escape into a reality that has nothing to do with the real world. And that's happening on video games to some extent. But as that technology grows and it becomes more and more of a common occurrence, I think, and I think it might because it's a place that we can go to to escape reality. We can build a universe, a world that has no outside consequences, that has no outside bearing, that has no troubles. And you could go and escape there and live there and not have to deal with the rest of the world. That is not the type of place that we find peace and escape. Let the peace of Christ rule in your life, in my life, that we find escape in him. And when we feel like I've got to get away, I need some me time, I need some quiet, I need some rest, I need some escape. It may be rest, but you may need to rest also in that, Jesus, you are my refuge. You are the place that I can run to, to for safety. You are the place that I can run to for peace. You are the thing that alleviates all of the unrest that's caused around me. Let the peace of Christ rule in us. We've got to move. Be thankful. All, the last three verses of this passage, he repeats this three times. The end of 15, he says, and be thankful. And in 16, he talks about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. We've got to be thankful. It's like the dress that took the internet by storm a couple of years ago. You know what I'm talking about. It's either black and blue stripes or it's white and gold stripes. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? If you don't, Go Google it or ask somebody to Google it for you and show you. You're looking at the very same picture and Amanda and Drew see it as black and blue and I see it as white and gold and I have no idea why. There's probably a scientific reason for it, but it's just a different perspective. Guys, our life is the same way. Each one of our lives, especially if our faith is in Christ, we have ample reason to be thankful. We have also reasons to look with despair and pessimism at our life. Which circumstances are we going to let dominate and rule? It doesn't mean that we, again, pretend like nothing's wrong and nothing's happening. It means that we look and seek out and find the opportunities and the things that we have to be thankful for, and we let thankfulness and gratefulness fill us from the inside out 
we have to be thankful because if we don't, we're never going to be driven and united by God-centered worship. Which is the second thing that we see, that God-centered worship unites us. Listen, our lives are filled with worship. We can worship anything and everything. Romans 1 tells us that the things of God can be clearly perceived in the world. And that those who see them oftentimes suppress the truth of God and worship the creature rather than the creator. So so our lives, believers or unbelievers, as people in general, our lives are filled with worship. The question is, what or who are we worshiping? If we're going to be united as the body of Christ, our worship needs to center on God and God alone. So it points to us, it points to this a few times. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that we worship through the word of God, that as it dwells in us, as we take it in, as we read it and think about it, as we study it, as we memorize it, let the word of God dwell richly in you so that we can teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. The word of Christ dwells in us so that all of us are teaching each other. All of us are teaching each other. You say, how does that that happen? How does that work? Because we have a few Sunday school teachers and a few village group leaders and a few people that would stand up on Wednesday night and teach. So how is all of us teaching? And there's a spiritual gift of teaching. So then there's a lot of us in here that don't have the spiritual gift of teaching. So you want us to teach also? Here's how I think this works out. And it's necessary in the church. That we're not just teaching in all of those settings in here on Wednesday night and Sunday school at village groups, but that as we eat lunch together, we're sharing with each other, man, here's what God, what I've read in God's word and here's how it applies to me. Here's the things that I'm dealing with. And we encourage each other in God's word. It doesn't have to be like a get the lesson book out and go through the lesson type of teaching. It's just we read the Bible on a daily basis and we share with each other what God is teaching us through that. And and you share with me and I share with you and we share with one another that we're constantly teaching each other and correcting each other through God's word as we're engaging it and taking it in on a daily basis. We worship through word and deed. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, everything in our life is worship. That we worship in teaching the word through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going to call us out on a couple of things to illustrate this. Because worship is not about what we do. It's about the attitude with which we do what we do. Okay? So one, let me just clarify this. You can't worship through sin. Like we can't do the wrong thing with the right attitude and it be worship because sin is anti-God. It is against God, okay? So we've got to do the right thing, but we can do the right thing with the wrong attitude. Here's what I mean. We could come in here on Sunday morning and we could sing songs out of habit. We could not sing songs because we don't care for the tune, because we don't care for the key, because we don't care for the instruments that are being played or not being played or because it's not the song that we like. We like these other songs. And this goes all across the board. Or 
we can come in and we look at the words on the screen and it's our job specifically to make sure that those words are truthful and they reflect the word of God and that they are full of truth. And then we as a congregation join in singing God's truth with whatever instruments are playing, with whatever tune is behind it. Because it's not about the song. It's about what the song says and who the song is talking about. So that we don't worship on our own terms. I'm not going to worship if it's not this. I'm not going to worship through song if it's not this song. I'm not going to worship through song if it's this style. Young people, we can worship in song through piano and organ. Those of us who love the piano and organ, we can worship through guitar and drums, which we don't have drums, but it doesn't matter. We can worship through a harp. The instruments, the songs themselves don't matter. It's what the songs are saying and who they're pointing to. Here's the second thing. And this is not a ploy for money, okay? Just be clear. In Scripture, we're told all things are God's, things that we have. All of it belongs to Him. So we give back out of what God has given us. Part of that is money. We give God back what he's given us, what belongs to him. But there's a, and so doing that is worship. We worship through giving. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that because if I give my money with the agenda that I determine where this money goes and what it does, then I'm making this worship about me. So I'll give my money as long as it goes to this thing, as long as I can designate what it's for. So you'll worship God that way through your money if you can control it? Or do we give freely? Now, listen, there are times where we, not only us, but all churches, need specific things and have specific needs, and people generously and gladly give to those specific things. It's happened here, it happens other places, and that's good. But if our only motivation for giving is that I can control it and dictate it, then it's not worshiping God in everything that we do in word or deed with thankfulness, not dictation. We worship with glad and generous hearts. And those are just two examples, guys. I could go to, we could go to 100 more. We don't have time. We worship motivated. We do the right things with the right motivation, the right attitude to make much of God, not ourselves not according to our agenda, but according to his, we're united through worship and we're united in our identity. Our identity unites us. And this is the most important thing because it drives all of the other things. Put on then as who? As God's chosen ones. I didn't write these words. I didn't dictate these words or pick these words. God inspired and dictated them, okay? I'm not making this up. That's what it says. God's chosen ones. We, if our faith is in Christ, it is in Christ because God chose us, not because we chose him. You don't have to like it, but the choice is either God said it in his word and we trust his word or we don't. Our identity is that we're chosen by God and we could go to a hundred places in scripture Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He chose us, it says. And so our identity is not in us, but in in the fact that we are where we are because of his work in us and on our behalf, that we are holy and beloved, that he has declared us holy despite our sins. He has made us holy through the blood of Jesus. We are beloved. This is who we are, not because of what we've done, but because what he has done on our behalf. And we've been made into then one body with many members. There's a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 devoted to this. But we are made one body. And we are forgiven so that we forgive others quickly because we've been forgiven ourselves by Christ when we were his enemies, not because we earned his forgiveness. This is our identity in him. And so as we worship, as we work with one another and pursue godliness, we do so because he has made us this way. He has made us holy and called us beloved and chose us and and established who we are. So then all of this works out this way. Sunday, for some, is a day of football, in football season anyway. There are many who will go home from here today, not only in this building, but buildings across our country, that will go home and turn on football. Maybe they watch it, maybe they don't watch it. As we started, football, just like basketball, is a team sport, yes? 11 people on the field. Generally speaking, whether it's Holdenville Wolverines or the Dallas Cowboys or the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> when those guys take the field, they're wearing a jersey, has a name on the front, or a logo. Kansas City Chiefs, Dallas Cowboys, Holdenville Wolverines. In many cases, there's a name on the back. So as plays are made, catches are made, runs are scored, and I don't mean like a baseball run, I mean like a running back runs and he scores a touchdown, okay? We want to know what name on the back did that. Who was the guy who threw that pass? Who was the guy who made that tackle? Because he lit him up. And many times the cameras are showing the name on the back, but the more important name is not the one that's on the back. It's the one on the front. Because quarterback's important, but the other 10 guys on the field, it, the quarterback can't defeat 11 guys on defense by himself and score a touchdown. That's not how it works. Even if you don't know football, I'm telling you, the quarterback can't do it on his own. He needs everybody else that's on the field on offense. If his offensive line doesn't block for him, he's getting sacked. And if he does that enough, he's going out of the game because he's going to have a concussion or he's going to be hurt. It's not good. The point is, we like the name on the back. Even we sitting here, we're not wearing jerseys. My name's not on the back, Paul Lane, of my jacket. But too many times, we like the name on the back. We live for the name on the back. We worship for the name on the back. I hope that you see the way that I worship 
and recognize it. I hope that you see that I'm here and give me credit for it. I hope that you see what I did. That's not important. The name on the back is one person. The name on the front is everyone. We're to look to what unites us, our identity, that we are God's. If our faith is in Christ, we belong to God together, belong to him, and ought to live together. We don't live for the name on the back that the name on the back is. No, we live for our identity. So we are united in worship. We're united as we pursue godliness. We're united as we live together and make much of who God is, knowing who's on the front of the jersey, whose name we're living for, so that it penetrates. Our worship penetrates everything that we do. So where have you deviated from that? What area of your life or season or specific instances are you more concerned with the name on the back? than your identity in Christ. We need to repent of that because it means that we're worshiping ourselves or worshiping something else other than who we ought to be. And that we need to unite together to know that we're in it, that the, name, the same name is on the front of all of our jerseys so that we bear with each other and forgive one another where that's needed. And that we together, not individually, make much of his name, not ours. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word and that we can be encouraged by it. That we could also be at times corrected in it. So that where our agenda is not your agenda, where our worship does not end on you but ends on us, God, may we set our preferences aside. Because worshiping us and our preferences is not worshiping you in whatever means that is. God, may we see that and recognize it. God, where we are living life as an individual without others around us in community, knowing what's going on and following up with us, God, may, we, may you show us that. May you move people to be established in community, whether that's through Sunday school or village groups, Bible studies during the week. God, unite us together that we might be people who forgive one another that bear burdens with one another. God, that rejoice in you in all that we do, that we would be characterized by thankfulness in you. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.